Amen. Uh, before you sit down, uh, we are going to again show honor to God in his word. As, uh, as a judge comes in, everybody rises. I believe we have something way more valuable than a judge when we open the word of God. So if you would stay standing as we read, we're going to look at Matthew uh, chapter 6. Uh, we are going to kind of look at uh, verse 16 through 18, but we are going to read uh, verse 9 through 18. So if you would go ahead and join me in the reading of God's word. Pray then in this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgression. And whenever you fast, do not put on gloomy faces like the hypocrites do, for their neglect, they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly I say to you, they have the reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that when you may not be seen fasting by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. You can be seated. Now, as we read that passage, uh, as Nick pointed out last week, uh, the Lord's Prayer, probably the most common repeated thing uh, that has been read by a lot of uh, any believers. And he did a great job on kind of opening up and exposing some of the things of prayer. And then we kind of uh, moved into a section that uh, probably caught your attention here today. There's a portion of scripture here that probably stood out. And maybe if you've been coming here for the last 20 years or maybe even in the last couple weeks, there's a portion of scripture that stood out that you either put aside because you're not sure how to address it or you have questions. And that is verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgression. Did that trouble any of you after what you've heard? After what we've been uh, even singing about here? The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Can't earn it. I don't deserve it. Nothing I did gets it, but by his love alone. You hear passages also like Colossians 13, and when you uh, were dead in your transgression and uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having canceled out all of your sins, all of your transgressions, taken it away and nailed it to the cross. They're all washed away. Isaiah 40, he pardons all of your iniquities. None remain. And I will remove your iniquities as far as the east is from the west. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgive each other in the same manner that God in Christ Jesus forgave your sins. What manner were you in when your sins were forgiven? 
Do you see, it, it looks like when we're reading all of these and everything that we looked at so far, even in the Sermon on the Mountain, it seems like God is bringing and pouring out his incredible love, his incredible forgiveness, his incredible union, and his blessedness, which we said was the presence of God in man. And then he emphasizes that you had nothing to do with it. So then what about this verse? What about this verse? We see a similar verse in Isaiah uh, where he says that your, your sins have made a division between you and your father. We see in Matthew 18 where the, the guy that has been forgiven a great debt that he owed millions and millions of dollars and then he would not forgive a guy a $25 debt. And God said, uh, and it says that they put him in prison to the torturer and until he repaid all the old, and thus your father is going to do to you if you don't forgive. What do you do with these things? So I wanted to address that real briefly before we move on into our text today. And you got to remember something about Scripture and interpreting Scripture. And the best idea about Scripture interpretation is let Scripture interpret Scripture. Let all the Scripture and the whole canon of the Bible interpret the Scripture. We don't want to ever take, like, and we tried to do this so far in the Sermon on the Mountain, is that we don't want to take a little sentence right here and try to make a doctrine out of it. We have to fit it in the whole context of what is being said here. This is a book about God's love, and it is a book about you being a lover. And if you receive God's love in the presence of God, these are all the things that will begin to flow out of you. So when we talk about if a person sees somebody and it says, if you're lusting, then cut out your eye or cut off your members if you're lusting. And we kind of told you that you don't see a lot of people walking around with, you know, no legs, no parts and no eyes going around here. That's not what was being implied. And the implication that was being done here is as God's union that he blesses us, comes into us, brings us into the fellowship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, these are what you will look like. This is what you look like and this is what a believer looks like. Anything inconsistent with this, then something is wrong on your part. And so in the forgiveness here, we, I can't go and say that there's a, a clean definition why he used that phrase right there, if you forgive this, your father will forgive you. I can't explain that, but I can't explain. It's not contradicting anything else in Scripture. God's forgiveness is final. God's forgiveness is not a result of your works, lest any man should boast. It is a result of God and his grace and his faithfulness and his love that he poured out on you the forgiveness and took all of your transgressions, past, present, and future, and he nailed them to the cross. And remember on the cross, he said, it is finished, tistelestai, never again will be held against you. So that can't mean what that sounds like it means. But what I can tell you for a fact, in a lot of God's promises in the scriptures, there are conditional responses. There are conditions that are tied to things. And this is one of those conditions. There is a direct correlation between your receiving the forgiveness of God and your expressing the forgiveness of God to other people and be an extension of God's forgiveness to other people. 
And if you are unwilling to be that extension, you are going to somehow suffer consequences of that forgiveness that God gave you. You are headed for pain, as he says in Matthew 18. There will be some type of pain and torturing to, not out of desperation, but out of his overwhelming, never-ending love of God. He's going to say, Bill, you don't belong here. This is not where you belong in unforgiveness. It is going to ruin your life. And so I want you to know, as I forgave you, I want you to be an extension of my forgiveness. And until you do, there is going to be some handing over to the tormentor till you go ahead and jump on board and unite with me. Because there is no, you can't separate the love of God and the love of brethren. First John says, you say that you love God and yet you hate the brethren, then you're, it, it, the truth is not in you. You cannot say you love God and not love the brethren. You cannot say that you love God and not forgive your brother. They do not mix together. There is a connection here that I want you to know that is very, very important. And we're going to see why God threw this in here. It's an interesting thing that in the midst of all of the stuff of the Sermon on the Mountain, probably one of the greatest studies, probably one of the most difficult studies to look at in the whole Scripture. So many controversial issues that are in there. I think so much has been misinterpreted by it. And we pick and choose the ones we like. The ones we're doing good at, we, we point our fingers at people not doing those, but we're not going to go ahead and look at the other ones. This isn't a message about self-management and self-containing and managing sin. On the contrary, it is a relationship with God, and it is built around a relationship with God. So I find it interesting that in the midst of this, he, he is going to bring four issues to light. Four issues are going to come out into the surface. Ben did a great job of talking about when you give alms, don't be like the hypocrites who give alms to be noticed by men. So giving is one of the fruits that you're going to see of a person that really has embraced and understands this union of God in you. You can't have a union with God in you and not become a hilarious giver. It will not happen. Once you embrace this of God, it will come flowing out. You can't stop it. Prayer. You can't stop praying. <laughs> my, my wife, I don't know if she's here or not, but... Uh, she sometimes, she's, she's one that goes directly to God. She's like David. She just goes right after God. And I get a little nervous when she goes to God. I'm afraid he's going to strike her with lightning. Because I came up with the background that that's what I was taught. So I was always, yes, sir, yes, sir. You know, and then she just goes right to him. And there's been times that she has said, I'm not praying ever again. And in about an hour, she's on, oh, she's praying about something. She can't help but pray. It's a part of who she is. Because she knows who God is, this is the relationship. You can't not talk to him. So when you give, meaning when you give, meaning you will be giving. When you pray, you will be praying. Okay. When you're forgiven, you will be forgiving. And now, when you fast... Now, 
I bet I could ask you all that you've heard a sermon before on giving and you were moved and touched and you said, oh man, I just need to really get more involved in my giving. How many of you in here, show of hands, have really somehow been touched to be a better giver at times? Let's see your hands. Okay. Now, how many of you have, as you've either studied or you wonder, gosh, my prayer life isn't too good. And so you've been moved to try to go ahead and become more involved in your prayer life. Let's raise your hand. Okay. How many of you have heard a sermon uh, that uh, on fasting, and so you've been moved and you've been regularly doing your fasting? As I expected. Okay. Now, I'm not here to bring condemnation. This, that would be totally inconsistent with the Sermon on the Mountain. I'm here to awaken you to something that could greatly affect, if not change, your life. Jesus was thinking, as your union with him is united together, there will be giving, there will be uh, praying, there will be forgiving, and there will be fasting on a regular basis. I remember Billy Graham one time, we were in a meeting, and it was a smaller meeting, and we were visiting, and some people were asking him questions about why people didn't do certain things. And he said, I think the majority of the time people are uneducated. And when they're educated, then they have a choice to either be obedient or disobedient. That makes sense to you? After today, you have no excuse. You are going to be educated by somebody uneducated. Okay? God, God can do that. He's amazing. So we're going to take a look at fasting. And I think you're going to see that fasting, why it's put there, why it's a part of your life, you're going to see that fasting is something that, that brings about and makes possible those other three things, and it makes them much, much easier to do, and you'll see them lived out when you fast. Because in the midst of a fast, you're going to see a lot of things that maybe you attempted to do and you couldn't do. But the fast is allowing it and at least making it easier. It, it's like, this is a terrible example, but I remember the first uh, 3D movie with glasses I put on. I went to a movie called Avatar. And uh, I was blown away by the reality of being in this movie. But if I took my glasses off, it was all fuzzy. Anybody been to one of those types of deals? What we're going to do and what fasting, I believe, do, does is it puts your glasses on. It helps you see clearer. It helps you hear uh, more certainty. It has a benefit that it will stop all the noise and the distraction around you that allows you to see things that, that are there and have been there, but you've never, you've never allowed yourself to be quiet enough to see them. And fasting helps aid that. God even designed fasting so it has an effect on your brain, as it's been measured, and on your body. It does things that produce things in your body that cause you to enter in. Last week when Nick was talking on the, the, Our Father, the prayer, the Father's prayer, I realized that when I'm going to go through the benefits, the benefits were actually lined up in the Father's prayer. First benefit that you're going to see, it says, Our Father who art in heaven. That is a place of posture. That is a place that you realize he is God and you are not. And the, the best response at that point is to fall on your face sometimes and humble yourself. Well, listen to these scriptures that God just talks about in prayer. 
Look what they talk about and this common theme. Yet even now, declared the Lord, return to me with your, all your heart and with your fasting. It will produce weeping and mourning and it will rend your hearts and your garments. Return to your God. Next one. Blow your trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast and call a solemn assembly and humble yourself before your God. In Psalm 35, but when I was sick, I, was, I wore sackcloth and I afflicted myself with fasting and I prayed and my head bowed, bowed down on my chest. Psalm 69, when I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, is this such a day of fast that a person would humble himself with fasting and bow his head on a reed? Do you get the common theme? There is a something that begins to happen in the midst of a fast. And we're going to talk about fasting uh, later on about what you do. But in the midst of a fast, there's kind of a humbling. The best I can explain it in, in my own lay, miserable term is it's kind of like after you've just had this long sickness of uh, the flu, you're coming out of it, and there's a place where you're, you're well, it's nice to feel well again, but there's just no energy. And you don't feel like pointing fingers at people. You don't feel like going ahead and pointing what's wrong with other people. And it causes you to basically come to a place of humility. And so, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You will come to a place, what's the first thing a fast does, is it, it brings out your humility. And in bringing out your humility, it will then move into some of the other things that I think are extraordinary. Andrew Murray says that fasting helps to expose and deepen and confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice everything to attain what we must seek when we seek for the kingdom of God. It determines who is the master and who is the servant. Your body is a wonderful servant. It is a terrible master. So it is sometimes telling your body, okay, things have kind of got out of whack. I remember when our kids would disobey and it was just, they'd start to drive me crazy and I'd try to hang on and be patient and pretty soon it's just enough and I just... Everybody, out of the pool. <laughs> Sit on that. We're going to have a talk. We're going to ha have a discussion here. That is your mother. I am your father, and you are the kids. Get this straight. And it just sometimes it took that, and sometimes fasting does that. It just awakens me, and so sometimes I've got to tell my body, all right, body, stop. You're getting out of control. You think your appetites are in charge? You think you can go ahead and just run by that donut thing and eat all you want? I'm not against donuts, okay. But I have a word for you, news for you. You're not in charge. You're a servant. You're not a master. And I want to declare to God the same thing Andrew Murray said is, what I'm fasting, what you have put on my heart and prompted me to fast for, that is so important to me that I want you to know that nothing compares with seeing your face. What I need is your face right now more than anything on the planet. I don't need a certain type of food and appetite. I don't even need the distraction of what are we gonna cook? What are we not gonna cook? What do we have? How many calories are in it? All these different things you got going on. What are we gonna drink? What kind of wine we serve? What if we're gonna serve wine? Should we not serve wine? It is all off the plate. 
all your other appetites and all your other addictions that somehow rob in here and all of your, your uh, electronics and the tablets that are occupying your time, I encourage you in a fast that you put it aside only for necessary things so you can shut down all this noise and begin to enter into what the fast will do rightfully to your body and to your brain. It will do amazing things. It will do amazing things. I hope that by the time we're done today that not everybody will go out of here and say, okay, I've got to fast now. No. I promise you the Holy Spirit will do his job on you. But now you're going to know by the time you're done how absolutely important this, this assignment or this fasting is and what it produces in your life. It is mind-boggling. And by the way, I'm going to give you some things of why a fast is, but I'll even tell you something that I think is even more exciting. Your fast is going to surprise you. You may say, well, I'm going for this reason. It may not be what you get. It might surprise you of what God decides to do. One of the things when I began fasting, and, and by the way, I confess to you, my hand wouldn't have gone up either until I got assigned this topic. I periodically fasted. But when this came to me and I began to see how absolutely valuable it was and why God made it one of the top four things that he suggests that would help your walk, not because you'll lose God's love, not because you'll lose his salvation, not because you'll lose his favor. He's saying, I made you and I know how you best function. I even know how the chemicals in your body and your brain work and they work good when fasting is involved. It begins to do some things. Now let's pause for just a second. We have a commercial. Detoxing is a nice thing. A lot of you out there are detoxing. It's big now, okay? Diets, they can be nice things. We're not talking about those. That's not what we're talking about fasting. The motivation of the heart of those usually is for your body, for your things, and for how you feel, which is wonderful. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you saying just like you would to a lover that you're trying to have choose you between you and somebody else and you get with that girl on the date and you turn on the radio she wants to hear, you go to the restaurant she wants to go to, you buy the things she would like to buy, you sacrifice yourself, you lay down your life so that she knows that there is no self in this person. You know what, have you ever been around people that are just selfless? They are attractive. They are just absolutely drawing to you. They're interested in you. This is what you're telling God. It reminds me of an illustration. I may not get the exact event right, but the illustration uh, I want you to take in the fact, I believe it was when Nick got his virus and everything was going haywire and we jumped on uh, Hilton's plane, his jet, and we went ahead and we were going to jet ourselves to Mayo Clinic. And then after we were there a little while, uh, Sherry's uh, kids, Nick's kids, were going to come. And I remember Sherry talking about the, the thing with, uh, with Brogan, their youngest boy. He, he said, I'm going to ride a jet, I'm going to ride a jet. And all of a sudden he got and he heard the sound of the jet. And all of a sudden what was going to be exciting became extremely fearful. Sherry quickly grabbed Brogan's face. Said, look at me, look at me, look in my eyes. I love you. I will never let anything hurt you. 
and Brogan calmed down. This is what a fast can do. God's saying, look at me. There's no, don't look out here. Don't look at all the other distractions. Look here. Look here. And when you look there, everything else seems to pale and go away. And not too long a time in the same chapter, we're going to see the common verses that you guys have heard. Why do you take thought about what you're going to wear, what you're going to put on, what you're going to eat? Does not your father know you need all of these things? Seek ye first me and my kingdom, which is within you, and all these things will be added unto you. Matter of fact, after a fast, you'll go back and you'll find out some of these things you fasted from, they're delightful. They're delightful. So what do we do? And what is this fast? And what are we called to it for? I want to give you, in a short time, I want to give you what I would recommend you consider at least looking at. By the time you leave here, at least say, Holy Spirit, God, I'm willing to step into this. I want it to be uh, so that I can raise my hand because this has become a regular part of my life because you told me when I fast. Okay? Now, if you have some medical problems, some medical issues, and you have some things that you need to talk to your physician, then I would recommend you talk to your physician. By the way, there are lots of different types of fasting. Don't try to go ahead and think that you have to do the one that somebody else did. I'm hesitant to say this on tape, but I have a lot of people jump into this and they're going to do the 40-day fast like Jesus did. I remember somebody says, I'm going 40 days. Jesus did it. And I said, yeah, he just did it right before he saved the whole world. So I would recommend that you begin to go ahead and say, God, not only it seems like you're putting in my heart to fast, uh, but what type of fast do you want me to have? There can be like Daniel fasts from alcohol and meat. There's different fasts from uh, just, just meat itself. There's fasts from uh, sex. There's fasts from uh, your electronics. There's fasts from all food except for water, which is, I think, the one that I would recommend if you want to get to that state. Now, you can mix some type of juices in it, and, and, uh, and you can see that some type of juices will still get you that place. But you get to a place where all of a sudden, after maybe two days, and sometimes it'll happen in the second day, but the third day, I find it almost regularly, on the third day, I am no longer hungry. I don't have any appetite. And it seems like things have quieted down. <laughs> this last fast that I was on, I just took note of this. I didn't even know this, but there is a calming, cooling effect that comes over you. It's sort of like when I used to go under an anesthetic to get surgery. It's like, I'm just kind of pleasant. Just kind of pleasant. <laughs> and I was driving the car, and I noticed I'm being passed by everybody. And I look down, huh, I'm only going 60 miles an hour. I go to the grocery store, and normally if you're around me, I'm finding the shortest line, the quickest line, and I'm just going to get in that line. And I remember saying something to God, is this how most people live? Because <laughs> I'm burning the candle on both ends most of my life. And I said, you know, it is kind of pleasant. 
okay? I remember when I went to the first, the first guy that did a lot of LASIK surgeries in the United States, I uh, went there and I, I think I took Nancy there and everybody was given Valium, but you know, and I, I got to observe it. And it's so interesting after they've had a full Valium getting ready for their eye surgery. Excuse me, please. I'm just going to walk by. That's fine. Go, go ahead. Walk on by. <laughs> and I said, you know, I, other than the addiction, this might be kind of handy. <laughs> so you're going to see that in the midst of a fast, you're going to have a calming effect. It's going to stop all the distractions that are around you, which all of a sudden, it's not necessarily that I think that God necessarily talks more to you now. I just think now you can hear him. I think that there is a hearing of him. It'll cause a humbling of yourself. It reduces the power of self. It creates a greater sensitivity to the voice of God. It, again, reminds you who is master and who is servant with your body. It really will purify. In the midst of a fast, you'll even see things brought to your light that you have sinned against somebody or people, and it'll be brought to your awareness. Respond to it. It purifies you. It brings the inner calm. It has a lot of physical blessings that many of you out here know way more about it than I do. I just know that it has the ability to take care of some toxins. A lot of times <clears throat> the, the pain element goes way down so you, all of a sudden you realize, I don't even think I need my meds during this time. Don't stop your meds if you're on some meds. I'm just saying that what the body does. But it has these responses. Now, in a disclaimer, I want to say this before we end. On the fast, on, there's a disclaimer that you're hearing some of the benefits. That does not guarantee that God will go ahead and do all these things for you. But it sure sets you in a posture that you are ready to receive it if he should talk. It's almost like, here I am, God, send me. If you want to choose me, choose me. The hilarious giver in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 says, choose me, choose me is what the word means. Let me be the one to give that. It's just that I'm willing to do it. If you choose not me, it's okay. That person still gets the benefit. It just sets you in a good place. So in preparing you for the fast, here's what I would say. If God so leads you or so prompts you to consider this, then I think make sure that, one, you're prompted by the Holy Spirit, not by me telling you to fast. But the Holy Spirit moves you in some way. Also, know why you're fasting. There's a purpose behind your fast. You may have something that's really, really important. I remember the first time I tried it, uh, we had lost our first baby uh, when I was playing baseball, and then Nancy was pregnant again, and she started to bleed, and so they said, you're going to have to have bed, bed rest for a month, and if you move at all, there's a chance you'll lose it. And I remember at that time, and I was busy playing baseball, but I remember I tried to somehow experiment with a fast. My purpose was I want that boy, I, I didn't know it was a boy at the time, but I want that child to live if it would be your will. And I want to tell you how important it is for me. I'll stop all these things if you would honor that. Doesn't mean he has to, but I'm ready for it. Respond to really repentance when God shows you your sin. Repent, turn from it. It sets you in another position to hear God. 
Then ask, what kind of fast do you want? If you don't know, try to ask somebody that's maybe familiar with it. Uh, I'm trying to start out, what would I do? Also ask the length of it. Esther, I like Esther's response when she says, go gather all the Jews and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat anything or drink other, or for three days, night or day. And I'll even have my young women do this as well. I sometimes like that. Uh, it's mentioned more uh, than often in there. Second thing, or the next thing is prepare yourself. Don't go into a fast after going to McDonald's with three uh, double cheeseburgers. Move slowly into a fast. Get your body used to it by, you know, soups and things that are a little lighter. Don't just, just dash into a fast. Also, look at your schedule. Don't take a week that is just going to be overwhelming because I will assure you, your energy will be low. It just, it just is hard. You get tired from walking some places. It is a time to calm down and have opportunity for prayer and reading the Word of God. Remember, appetite is a mental desire, hunger is a bodily need, and your body is a poor master. Okay? Not talking about it. We're going to end with this. And where it says here, uh, do it in secret. Now, that's not God saying, don't ever let anybody know you fast. That isn't at all what he was implying. He was implying that these hypocrites, what they did, they would go ahead and they would, they had new ways of making it look so you could see they were fasting. Their whole purpose was so you would see them fasting, but noticed that they were fasting and they were making it out that I'm fasting and I'm more elite and more spiritual than you are. And they got their reward. They got recognized. Okay, and you know what their reward was? They're fasting. That's all they got out of it. He says, but when you fast, the way God's prompted you to fast, there's a lot, most of the Bible fasts are a group fast in the Bible. There's very few limited. It doesn't matter if I say, Dubman, let's, let's, that's really important to me about your daughter. Let's go ahead and join together and fast with that. He goes, I've felt the same thing. It's okay to have him know that. It's not for us to pump ourselves up. It's just that sometimes it's really neat to have people engaged in the same thing. So he's not saying that. And then ending your fast, it's very important that you end it gradually. Things like watermelon, things like soup, just end it gradually. Don't just jump into it, okay? I hope that in some ways I've at least challenged you to consider this. By the way, you're not more spiritual if you do it. But I can promise you the benefits you will receive you'll like if you do. In closing, we're going to do something that is kind of neat. I'm going to have Donovan and Drew and Lisa and the family come up here. They're going to come up and share something with you. And I would uh, encourage you to be a part of, just like we talked about as a group in fasting, we also are a group sometimes when we go ahead and celebrate a person's life. And we're going to celebrate a life right now.